hopped up from daylight saving time. And there's a new survey. People think they're getting a good amount of sleep, but how they feel in the morning suggests something else. We brought back an expert, Dr. Carlos Nunez. He is one of the top sleep experts in the nation. He's the chief medical officer for ResMed. He's the chairman of the Consumer Technology Association's Health Division. And uh, Dr. Nunez, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. This is exciting. You are now in our three-timers club, so you're just two appearances away from either a cap, a T-shirt, or a coffee mug. Wow, I can't wait. So when we're talking about uh, this morning, Sleep Awareness Week, Daylight Saving Time, people claim they're messed up from Daylight Saving Time. Can just an hour uh, of changing, losing an hour of sleep, can that really mess with our, with our sleeping habits? It really can. Believe it or not, one of the most important things you can do is have a set sleep schedule. Your body likes that regularity of going to bed about the same time every night and waking up about the same time every morning. Yeah. <clears throat> so yes, even just one hour of disruption can mess you up. Like normally I will get up at five to prepare for everything. And then today it, it was much, much harder because, oh yeah, it's actually four o'clock. And, and how long does it take a body to kind of adjust to, to, to a change in a sleep schedule? Yeah, as you may have noticed, if you've gone on vacation and flown a few time zones over, right. it takes a couple of days for your body to get used to it, yeah. So we've got a brand new uh, sleep survey. What what are some of the highlights from the survey this year? Well, to me, the biggest highlight is what you alluded to in the introduction. Um, most people, 64% of the survey respondents, believe they're getting enough hours of sleep. <clears throat> but unfortunately, about 81% of the respondents admitted that they have at least one sign or symptom of poor sleep quality. So the next morning they wake up either excessively tired or they might wake up with a headache, scratchy throat, yeah. drenched in sweat, all different signs of a potential sleep problem. Now that's interesting. And, and waking up drenched in sweat, a lot of times I, I will go to bed freezing with multiple layers and not even knowing it, I'll wake up like with, with, with no layers on it and, and sweaty. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, and it's twofold, really. Your body wants to be cold at night. The, the actual good sleeping temperature is in the 60s. Really? Okay. Most people can't keep their room. Yeah, yeah. Most people think that uh, the science shows you sleep better when the temperature gets down to around 66 degrees, but most people don't like to keep their rooms that cold. The other reason people will wake up in, drenched in sweat is when you stop breathing, if you have sleep apnea, your body is freaking out because you are truly suffocating and it causes you to basically break out in a sweat because you're suffocating and your body is fighting to breathe. Yeah. Now tell us a little bit more about that because I think we've touched on it before with sleep apnea that um, these uh, lapses of breath that you, you're really like suffocating yourself several times overnight. You really are. Yeah. Even a mild case of sleep apnea, which is literally basically means you don't breathe when you sleep. Wow. Um, a mild case is at least five times an hour that you suffocate. That's mild. I've seen people who will get a sleep test result back that says they stop breathing 60, 80, 100 times an hour, every hour that you're asleep. You never get restful sleep. Your body is being insulted over and over and over again because you're suffocating. And so you can only imagine after years of sleep apnea, 
you're at higher risk for things like high blood pressure, strokes, heart attacks, certain types of cancer, even dementia, you're at higher risk if you don't sleep well. And sleep apnea is a huge cause of sleep disorders. All right. So if someone has sleep apnea or they've been diagnosed, and by the way, when you say that a hundred times an hour, I'm thinking that's that's more than, than once a minute you're you're suffocating yourself. So what what can someone do then to turn that around and, and improve their sleep? Yeah, the first thing you can do is ask your doctor if you may be at risk for sleep apnea or any other sleep disorder, insomnia, restless leg syndrome, whatever it is that's keeping you up at night. It may be the fix is very simple, adopting a schedule that's more conducive to your sleep, putting down those phones and and those iPads every night instead of doom scrolling TikTok for an hour, you should be relaxing and getting ready to go to sleep. Um, But ask your doctor, that's the very first thing you should do. Is it something, and we've heard about, oh, it, it's the, a certain kind of light exposed to us on the phone. Is it just the act that I'm, I'm awake and I'm, I'm keeping my brain active by looking at my phone instead of letting it relax? You know, it's two different things. One, it's the type of light, the LCD screens that uh, we stare at give off of a wavelength of light in the blue wavelengths that is particularly bad. It makes your brain think that the sun is still out. But the other thing is the doom scrolling that I joked about. As people scroll through TikTok or other social media apps, it's using the same sorts of um, of mechanism as a slot machine to keep you engaged. And so your brain is engaged. Your brain is awake and being stimulated. That's the last thing you need in the few moments before you go to sleep. You want to be relaxed and ready to sleep, not wired and, and anxious because you've been stimulated so much. I have never heard that comparison that the scrolling on the TikTok kind of mimics a slot machine. And when you put it that way, wow, it seems deliberately designed to be addictive. And then, but of course it is. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's the, it is deliberately designed. The algorithms that keep you staring at that screen are meant to do just that. And it uses the same psychological principle, this random reinforcement that makes slot machines so addictive. So yes, it is the the same mechanism that's used to keep you putting quarters in that machine is what's keeping you scrolling through that social media feed. So what is the ideal time then? Because, you know, and, and I've done it before, not intentionally, but uh, fallen asleep watching TV. I've fallen asleep with my phone on my chest as I've dozed off. What is an ideal time to kind of put those devices down, turn the TV off and, and get my brain ready for sleep mode? Yeah, at least 45 minutes to an hour before you want to go to sleep. Okay. So what you sh- yeah, what you should do is when you go to bed, it is to sleep, not to scroll on your phone, not to do those last few emails. It's to sleep and to do things that relax you for sleep, like, you know, read a book, something that doesn't have light coming out of the screen at your eyes. You know, read a book or some people like to to meditate a- a- about the past day or think about what they're going to do the next uh, morning and, and and clear your thoughts that way. But anything you can do for that hour to get you ready for sleep. Now, obviously, sometimes in, in the morning here, a lot of us will, will blast ourselves awake with, with, with coffee or I guess a, a, a soft drink. What What is the right time of day to just knock that off? Because, you know, at what point does do I need to cut off the caffeine? Yeah, everyone's a little bit different because some people are more sensitive. But a good rule of thumb is that by the time you hit the early afternoon, one or two in the afternoon, probably no more caffeine after that. Okay. And again, it varies. Some people can drink caffeine a little later than others. 
So if someone just suspects they have sleep apnea or maybe, you know, the, the person you're sleeping with says, hey, you know, you're up several times a night. What, what, what is the next step? How do you approach your doctor and what kind of information would your doctor need? Yeah, the best thing is to approach your doctor with questions and say, look, I'm, I'm concerned about my sleep. I may have these issues in the morning or my bed partner tells me that it sounds like I snore very loud or I stop breathing. All of those questions will hopefully lead them to uh, to go through a, a, a screening questionnaire with you to see what kind of risk you may be at and then probably uh, prescribe a sleep test if they think that you might need further diagnosis of Again, sleep apnea, insomnia, restless leg syndrome. There are multiple types of sleep disorders. Or it may just be good sleep hygiene. Your doctor might just say, you know what, put down the phone, get to bed at the same time every night, wake up more or less the same time every morning. It may be no more difficult than that. How do we know, is there a way to tell the difference between someone snoring and and sleep apnea? I'm sure there's similarities. Yeah, sure. It's hard to tell. Um, without actually doing a formal sleep test. Yeah. Um, but one of the signs that are a giveaway, it's it's very, very loud snoring that sometimes stops and you can even tell that the breathing stops. That's the that's the sign that you might have a problem and you want to um, to investigate further. Snoring by itself does not mean you have sleep apnea. Plenty of people snore who do not have a sleep disorder, but it is one of the most important signs and symptoms of sleep apnea in particular. Okay, so for our potentially uh, groggy listeners, where can we go to learn more about uh, what we just talked about today? There's a great website, sleepforbettertomorrow.com. Lots of great information about sleep, sleep hygiene, sleep disorders. I think there might even be a link to my podcast on there, Awaken Your Best, which talks about sleep and wellness and all, all kinds of great things sleepforbettertomorrow.com. We've been joined by uh, Dr. Carlos Nunez, who is the chief medical officer for ResMed. Well, Dr. Nunez, glad to have you back on the show. We can't wait to uh, get you that t-shirt. Thank you. Always a pleasure.